Kia ora and welcome to episode 93 of the Stag Roar. This episode I'm joined by Kent from Kent Mulligan from Modern Pirate. Uh, Modern Pirate is a male grooming lifestyle brand. If you've been following my Instagram, you would have seen some of the product that Kent sent me. I can hand on heart say it is amazing. I've always been, and we talk about it in the podcast, it used to be a Dax Wax where <laughs> like many young teenagers amongst New Zealand as a sort of barbering was first coming in and doing your hair was first coming in um, and sent me the pomade and it's never been my thing until now um, this pomade is outrageous uh, it yeah just looks good even I was at a BNI meeting on Tuesday and uh, the lady sitting next to me hosts a company called Urban Retreat here in Hastings. And uh, she also complimented um, the male grooming. <laughs> I think she was just trying to prove a point. But anyway, uh, that, that, that was good quality. Um, Ken sort of developed the company out of the four-hour work week. Like a few people who have been on this podcast, people like Circuit Band, ben, uh, Dan Thompson, uh, Brian Cole, started Gritty uh, Bowman out of reading the four-hour work week. Um, yeah, there's been quite a few people that are inspired by their book, and I've just started reading it myself, uh, partly inspired by Kent, uh, and also it's been something I've been meaning to do. I've read Tools of Titans, read Tribe of Mentors, love both of them. So I thought even though um, a lot of the advice might not be quite so relevant, this you know, so far everything's been pretty awesome. Uh, a little bit tough for me in an appointments-based business, but it's uh, got me thinking of, of plenty of other things. So there could be some stuff in the pipeline that uh, might interest you guys, which is, is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so we talk Kent's business journey, um, his health journey, which is pretty intense. Um, and then also we talk hunting because Kent has just started bow hunting. He's got some fantastic mentors, um, Josh Rogers, from uh, Bow Hunting Camp Down Under, which is a great Australian po- hunting podcast. Toby Hines is one of the hosts on that. <laughs> you wee boom. Um, and also Eamon Waddington, who's a, a bow hunter and also runs Alpha Human there in, in Australia. Um, fantastic fighter, photographer, Eamon, as we said in the podcast. He was in the first issue of Modern Huntsman um, with some an awesome story in India. Um I've been in contact with Eamon quite a lot, had some good yards with him, he's a good lad, uh, and it's also how I first came across Modern Pirate. Um, be sure to go to the Modern Pirate website, modernpirate.com.au, and if you're doing an order, get 15% off with the code STAG15. It's not an affiliate code, that's just um, a way for you guys to get uh, a discount, which is awesome, and we thank Kent so much. Anyway, let's get into this episode. Fantastic listening. Hope you enjoy, and I'd love to hear from you and your thoughts. Cheers. Kia ora, everybody. I'm talking with a transposed Kiwi, Kent Mulligan. Great last name, rather. Um, turns out you, you've, you've got the same Mulligan as I've got in me. And um, what, what have you been doing this morning? Um, I have been preparing for a night away on a friend's property about two hours north of Melbourne. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great friend of mine from here and I, I've stayed on that property in the past. I had three months there this time last year, or a little bit earlier in the year. So it's, yeah, it's a really peaceful place and yeah, I'm just dying to get out there this week. I've had a hectic week with work and um, just yeah, ready for a bit of a, 
country change. That's me. And how did you sort of come across getting a country friend? Because listening to uh, Hunting Camp Down Under, you, you sort of grew up having good access to a farm. What's it like to be getting back out on the farm? Fantastic. I've been really fortunate. There's so many things since I started my business, Modern Pirate, where I've connected with such a broad range of people and lots of different industries and businesses and a heap of really good friendships that are developed from that. And this guy that's got this property, he was one of my first stockists of my brand. So I had one product when I started and I was walking around, not really knowing what I was doing, knocking on doors and hoping someone would buy it off me. And yeah, this guy was an Irish guy with a fantastic salon and barber shop within the salon who took it on board. And yeah, over the years we developed a friendship and he's got this um, weekend property. It's his wife's family's property. It's about 500 acres, I think. And yeah, right on the Golden River, stunning place, lots of deer, good fish in the river. And yeah, so he, he's got a little cabin there and then they've got a main house that they rent out or they use for, for family weekends. And, um, he's really generous when I I'd had some health issues, which we'll probably touch on at some point. Um, and yeah, I was going through a stage where I was like, I just feel like I need to go and chill the F out somewhere. So he offered me the cabin on the property and yeah, I spent three months there. It was fantastic. So mm-hmm. I do, yeah, I do a little blast out there every couple of, couple of weeks and spend a night with him. He's a bit of a mad Irishman, Stephen. So um, yeah, it's very entertaining and um, yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. Nice. And, and the sun's coming in on the right angle. You can see the ginger in the beard. Um, I've got I've got plenty of Irish in me, Mulligans, uh, <laughs> O'Connors, uh, McNamara's. It's all there. <laughs> um, what 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 did you used to do on the farm back in New York? Um, so my, the farm we we actually lived in town. We lived in a little town, Tikawiti. But my mm-hmm. grandparents had the farm out of town at Pew Pew. So my uncle and cousins all lived on the farm. And yeah, we we just spent a lot of time out there growing up. All our school holidays were on the farm, and even in Tikawiti, we backed onto our house was right backed onto farmland. So it was very yeah, sort of outdoors and you know possum hunting and rabbit shooting and pigs and all the rest of it. All the usual New Zealand um, childhood adventures. Yeah, I'm about the same. Uh, we grew up sort of semi-rural and, and backed onto people that had a bit, little bit of farmland and, and had larger farms um, in the area and, and bush and stuff and we just yeah, used to climb the trees and you know although mum and dad had sold the house I remember being there a wee while ago and looking up at these macrocarpa trees that were probably 50 metres high and thinking shit I could have died up there going climbing to the top it's a 4 by 2 from the tree houses <laughs> <laughs> yeah man so um, what, what was that one product that you started off with um, so my brand, Modern Pirate, it's hair products and I, I started in 2014 and I, you know, I don't have a background in hair industry or barbering. I just thought I saw a bit of a gap in the market for something and you know, there's this big sort of hipster barbershop movement that was really blowing up and there wasn't a lot of products out there. There was one brand, Australian brand, that was really dominating and a lot of imported brands at the time. So through friends that had barbershops, I discovered that they were having a lot of issues with importing products from the US that they wanted to stock or, you know, finding the right brand that fitted their shop. There's a lot of products that, that, that were still 
very much salon focused, female focused. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just had a, had an idea to do something and try and keep it as clean as possible, which became a little bit of a challenge. To, um, balancing functionality with natural, more, more sort of natural, cleaner focused ingredients. Um, but yeah, long story short, got through, had this first product created and you know, I just went out knocking on doors with one product, which was ridiculous really, because um, most stores, they need, you know, they need a range of products with some variety in them. But fortunately, I just got on a little bit of a roll and a couple of key places took it and I managed to sort of slowly build off that, introducing more products. And um, so that first product was the blue product in the range. I don't know if I put that in your box, but yeah, it's just a water-based styling product. Um, and that's kind of the, the appeal of the brand, I guess, in the moment is, or, or these barber-focused products is products that are a little bit cleaner, easy to wash out, not heavy and oily. So you don't get this kind of build up and residue, which a lot of the kind of waxy traditional brands um, sort of had in their range. You've just uh, spiked something for me. I was a Dex waxer for a long period of time. Yeah, me too, um, <laughs> and being a swimmer, Dex waxer was horrific because you, your goggles would just end up coated in the stuff and then you couldn't see. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was the same. I was surfing. It's all right if you're surfing and you want to still look all right when you walk up the beach and there's a bit of talent lying around. <laughs> uh, you don't really like to watch out, so it's got its it's got its place in there. Yeah. What, what do you think about this sort of barbershop renaissance? Like, um, I've, I've had a yarn to you on Instagram about a few of the things that you know I would love to do, and myself and, and another. Invercargo local Eddie Dawkins who's, who's a keen cyclist and he's a bit more like you. Um, he's he's full on barbershop um, sort of hipster style. He's got not just the haircut but the but the tattoos as well and and uh, ro rides rides a chopper chopper and yeah, no, he's he's fully into it. We've talked about how cool it would be to open a barbershop. What do you think it is about the actual idea of, of a place where blokes go uh, talk get get their haircut the way they want and and if they've got a beard, they can get it trimmed. And, and you know, it's almost like pampering for guys, but without without the, I don't know, the the pink. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's a great environment. It's you know, there's a lot of diversity within that barbershop movement as well. And there's lots of little places now that are a bit more. You've got a crossover kind of vibe. They sort of have a salon feel, but they're very barber focused and a bit cleaner and more um, industrial looking. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where you've got this very traditional um, sort of dapper gentleman kind of vibe. And I think that's, there was a lot of that around when I first started and that's that extreme end's probably not the end that I resonate with as much. I wanted something that I didn't really want to pigeon my, my pigeonhole my brand into, okay, this is just a, um, you know, a traditional reference of a product that's going to fit into it you know dapper gentleman kind of vibe there's a lot of that in the market branding wise and um yeah and store wise so my vibe was i want to access that i still want to be relevant in those spaces but i want to have something with a little bit more of a contemporary feel to the product and a contemporary mm. feel to the actual branding so that you know there's more crossover with um, you know, lifestyle stuff or a broader audience, not just targeting that sort of tattooed biker, slick back 
looking kind of barber dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy all aspects of it. There's lots of, there's lots of really cool little niche um, shops and people and, you know, diversity within it, which is cool. So it's, yeah, it's been a, been a fun journey. And so that, what, how have you approached um, sort of product development and then that diversification? You know, you've done a few collaborations using your brand. What, what do you sort of, what drives that? Um, I, on the product development side, I've been, I've tried to be a little bit ahead of the curve with some of the trends and a lot of the time it's just guesswork. Um, but I've, I've kind of been lucky a couple of times with the products that I've developed. Um, initially the products were really wet, sort of slick, um, shiny style products. And that was the trend for a lot of years. And then it started sort of moving away to these drier matte products. And fortunately for me, I had a couple of those in the range quite early on, just as that trend came through. So I got momentum before some of the big sort of multinationals that I was dealing well competing against. So I think product development, it's, you know, it's hit or miss. It's finding something that, you know, for me, I always look at it, you know, am I focusing on a consumer or am I focusing on, my wholesale trade and I think there's two there's two kind of avenues there like there's products that are probably a little bit more um, easier to put in front of a consumer and then there's other stuff that's much more trade focused where it's potentially going to be used in the store but maybe not something that someone's going to take home and use every day mm. so yeah it's just I, you know it's just finding that balance in there and you know primarily for me like 90% of the business is trade um, the consumer side of it's definitely growing really quickly. So I'm just trying to make products that function well in the store and are just really sort of no-brainer, easy-to-use stuff, um, you know, not complicated for people to take home. And it sounds ridiculous it's just a hair product, but there's a lot of products out there that, you know, they're just heavy and waxy and, um, you know, if you don't emulsify it properly or put it in the right way, then, you know, you can get this kind of clumpy look and build up. And so, yeah, just don't overcomplicate it and keep the formulas as clean as possible. And, um, yeah, hopefully people like it and get behind it. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, the, the big companies and, of course, a lot of the, the sort of care products have one of the you know massivest companies in the world's behind them you know things like johnson and johnson you know they yes. produce ton, tons of stuff as sort of being a competitor how difficult is it to stay in your niche but at the same time look at something like that they could just you know copy you straight away with, with massive scale it's i mean that's i'm not so concerned about the the, the copying or um replicating of products like there's not a lot, a lot of the products out there, there's very little between them. Like the formulation basis of a lot of the bigger commercial brands, you know, quite similar. And then the functionality gets laid into it with other techniques or ingredients. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, my biggest challenge is, you know, like I'm tiny, I'm a one man operator. I've got, you know, quite a big network of people around me that facilitate the growth and what I do. I, I, I outsource my warehousing and manufacturing and all the logistics. 
um, accounting. So, you know, it's, it's a lot to oversee, but it just means I don't have to have, you know, staff and, and warehousing and everything in house. Um, but for me, you know, it's a bit of a catch 22. Like there's a perception of the brand that it's much bigger than what it is, which is fantastic. But you know, when I get into some of these bigger channels or bigger customer uh, relationships, I'm sitting on the shelf at the same uh, retail price point as these multinationals who are just throwing, you know, a huge amount of promotional stock and discounting and deals at these guys to, you know, to, just to be on the shelf. So that's where it becomes challenging where the expectation is that I can support the brand in the same way as a, you know, $50 million annual turnover company. And I'm like, hey, I'm just working from the kitchen table here. <laughs> I don't really have the resources for that. But it's, you know, it's all, it's, it's fantastic. Like, you know, the, the flip side of it is, you know, people are resonating with the brand and doors are opening and opportunities are coming. And it's, yeah, it's, it, the growth is steady and organic and manageable to a certain degree. So... Yeah, it's a it's a real journey. Like it's a really it's it's so much more than just a business having a business. You know, since I started this, there's just a myriad of things that come out of it. You know, relationships, learning about yourself, dealing with stress. <coughs> um, it's yeah, it's a really challenging but rewarding experience. Nice. You see the better the growth aspect in. That was one of the things I was interested in. This diversification. How how do you temper that um, sort of itch to go? Oh well, we could take things over here, but then, like you say, you're a one man band, and if I spread myself too thin, am I going to take away from the core product? What's what's that sort of collaboration opportunity sort of stuff like? Yeah. So for me, there's another element to that as well. It's my lifestyle. Mm. So I recently had an opportunity to sell a major share of the business to a big multinational and part of that was a commitment from three-year employment as well with me and I didn't end up going through it because I just couldn't face rocking up somewhere nine to five <laughs> and you know so other things obviously around it as well weren't you know weren't right but you know it was very flattering and it was a, a really good experience to go through that sort of um period of negotiation and and just realizing you know just having some really deep thoughts about you know why did I start this and why am I doing it and is it to make money or is it to make some money and support you know my lifestyle and focus on my health and relationships and you know for me that's that is the priority so you know at the expense of probably being in a better financial position you know, I've sacrificed opportunities to maintain my lifestyle. Um, but, you know, it's a gut feeling and it's a gut feeling from right from day one that I started that I've, that I've really tried to be true to. And, you know, really good things are coming out of it. So um, next stage is, yeah, there's some bigger distribution channels that are opening up where it can probably allow me to just focus on the actual brand, not so much of the day-to-day -day running around and, um, you, know, com you know, a lot of communication. So I can kind of alleviate a lot of that side of the, um, my time and just focus on the stuff that I enjoy, which is, you know, building the brand and 
working on these collaborations to create content and um, broaden the market, you know, the exposure in, a, in different markets. Um, so, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's lots of opportunity and lots of, lots of growth still. So not even scratching the surface really. Yeah. What's the, what's the power play like with that? You know, they're waving, you know, cash, logistics, advertising, you know, all those little things, like you say, that take your, take your, or probably what you want to focus on. And they're going to say, Oh, we'll take care of it. If you can just run the business and it's kind of like, well, yes. this, this doesn't fit. <laughs> Yeah, it's still, I mean, there's still, you know, lots of challenges around that. It's, um, you know, fortunately, you know, everything's pretty close to where I am. Like I live in it, I live in St Kilda. I've got my manufacturing facility within sort of 20 minutes from here. The warehouse is 20 minutes away. Um, so, it's yeah, it, I think it's a, it's a really good solution it means i can free up my you know i can actually work from anywhere I'd, i want to if i want to go and spend some time somewhere for a few weeks and you know work um remotely then i've got that option it's yeah it's definitely it's been the target and it's been the goal right from the beginning was to build it and then get into some of these bigger global distribution channels and not have that sort of one-on-one -on -one direct um communication with every person that buys my product because that's it's great, but it's 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 just a lot to manage. Mm, absolutely. And so, yeah. you said St Kilda. There, does that mean you you follow the Swans, or you're a bit like um, a common like Andy and and stay away from the footy? <laughs> have not in I don't know how many years, twenty years, watched the game of AFL. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, it doesn't resonate with me. I think it's. The Kiwi blood is too strong. <laughs> I appreciate the I appreciate the guys. I don't know what team it is, but they train at the gym I train at. I wouldn't know who they are. It's just a bunch of fit guys that get in the sauna at the same time and jump, jump in the ocean at the same time. And every now and then someone says, oh, you know, maybe it's Essendon team training there as well. So I assume it's them. Yeah, nice. Now I um, loosely follow Carlton. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't say I've actually watched too many of the games. And you're right, I, I appreciate the athleticism, but trying to uh, trying to play that complicated game, it's, you know, it's a game where you can't explain it to somebody. That that makes it pretty yeah, difficult. Well, <laughs> rugby's also a little bit like that. It's like, well, there's a ruck, and this happens, and this could happen. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure, it's, it's hard, mate. And so last weekend, you checked out those Melbourne markets, how handy are they to you and, and what is it that drives you? Uh, yeah, it's the Paran markets. That's my kind of go-to. If I'm not away doing something, camping or outdoors on the weekend, Sunday morning I'll get up and I'll walk. It's about 30 minutes walk from my place to the markets and it's insane. They're open, I think they're open four days a week. But yeah, really fantastic seafood section. Um, Great organic butcher. That's all the staff for Kiwis. It's quite funny. <laughs> um, so I've got a really good relationship with those guys. I'm the weirdo that's coming and asking for lamb's brains and liver and all the offal that's stashed out the back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and really fantastic vegetables. But the thing that I really like is a, a small stand. There's an old guy there that's um, I don't know who he's working with, but it's some um, medicinal mushroom grower in Australia. So he's got a heap of fresh medicinal mushrooms. The lion's mane is insane. It's like a huge, big 
um, white spongy looking fungi. And yeah, so I always go and grab a grab 500 grams of that and a couple of other bits and pieces and smash a few oysters and get a bit of liver and on the way home. It's good. Yeah. Uh, I, I follow another Melbourne guy who's a Kiwi um, and his name escapes me. He his handles DP Chef and he's been out getting... Yeah. Oh, I follow him too. I didn't realise he's a Kiwi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and he's been out getting morales and, and turkey tails. Are there any of those that you're going to stumble across uh, this weekend? Yeah, we looked at us out on this property two weekends ago and we were looking for them. Um, yeah. For a few other varieties as well, but um, mainly the morales. Um, but I saw his post actually, and then mm. I was at the market the next day and saw fresh morales. So I, that I bought some and cooked them that night. So yeah, that was that got me interested. His post. So. Yeah. yeah, I'll have a look this weekend. I'll definitely have a look. There could still be a few around. Yeah, my only experience with mushrooms in, in Australia was, um, and I was lucky because. A couple of weeks before we left, we came across this one that didn't look the same as what we'd been eating, and it had sort of a, a white ring around the bottom of it. And I looked it up, and it, it said that in New Zealand it shouldn't be poisonous, but if it's got green spores, then it is. And so I thought, ah, oh, it's not worth it. And then, sure enough, I was driving. Um, I used to drive between Bellina and Casino, which was sort of back roads through macadamia groves and avocado groves and stuff and then these massive white things on the side of the road and I was like awesome some mushrooms and pulled over but no they, these ones had big green spots on them I was like oh, no we'll leave those, leave those behind yeah. yeah my friend who um I'm going out to the property he's really interested in in the fungi and mushrooms and whole mycelium um yeah. system he follows he's right into Paul Stamets and his work so yeah, he's he's always looking for different varieties of stuff out on his property, and it's when you actually consciously have a look around and think, okay, I'm just going to actually take notice of what's growing on the ground. There is literally thousands of different varieties. Mm. It's really really diverse. It's cool. Yeah, and I think that's something that is really good about getting out in nature. Like so many people, is you know living in the city or you know Hastings is a large town. People come into me and kind of go, oh, I've got these weird, weird symptoms, weird sinusy, headachey. And I sort of say to them, oh, well, you know, there's lots of spores around, there's, you know, there's pollen around. They're like, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, have, just, have you just looked at the grass at the moment or <laughs> whatever? Yeah, and I think a lot of these um, spores or microspores that are, are coming off, you know, plants and trees, a lot of them do have benefits for us with the, our response to them. Mm. The hormetic, you know, response that we get to um, inhaling and breathing or absorbing those spores and, um, you know, a little bit of a dip in our immune system and then rebounding from it. So I know in Japan they have gardens that are specific to cancer patients where they encourage people to spend, I think it's 30 minutes a day in these gardens near the hospitals just for that reason that they see an upregulation of their immune system um, just from being exposed or being out in the trees and in nature. Mm. So it's really fascinating all that side of, you know, the benefits of being outside and in and, and environments that, you know, are a little bit more raw and wild. And it's, um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And with the hormesis, I know you're sort of big into breath and, and movement, but um, what's, what's your relationship with the cold? The cold is something I 
I was, I can't remember where I was. I must have been, I think I was in San Francisco. I had about three years where I was splitting my time between Melbourne and San Francisco. And I came across, I think I picked up a book first. I can't remember the author, but it's a guy that wrote the book about um, Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. And, and around that same time, I listened to a podcast where Wim was talking to Joe Rogan. And I was like, this is really interesting stuff. So... I think I went and bought like three bags of ice and loaded up the bath and the water was freezing out of the tap in San Francisco anyway. Um, and I went through one of the breath cycles. He had, he had, I think his app had just been released. So just followed the technique on the app. Really basic, probably not doing it correctly, but just had this really crazy experience where, yeah, almost like a hallucination or psychedelic kind of visuals that came from the breath work. And then like amazing, um, just a really tranquil kind of peaceful feeling afterwards, which was really refreshing. And then I did the ice, jumped in the bath and froze, lasted about two minutes. And um, But yeah, again, getting out, I just really noticed that there was this, this peace that was coming over me. And it was at a time where, you know, my life, I mean, for those three years of that travel was, was a really stressful time, early days of getting the business going. Um, pretty tricky relationship. I had a partner in America at the time and, yeah, just a lot going on. So I kind of just, yeah, it was really refreshing. I was like, there's something in this. And I was quite shocked to find that, you know, it wasn't an ex- some external form of stimulation or something that I was taking that was making me feel like that or something that was within me. Hmm. Um, and that's, I think that was the most shocking part of it. It was like, wow, okay. With, you know, we do have something that's, um, whether it's a primal or something that's within our DNA that we're igniting or tapping into, um, that we can access at will. Um, so yeah, that from that day onwards, I, I just built it into my routine, and it was something. Particular, especially the last two years, I've been every day. I've done some form of cold therapy, whether it's you know cold. I mean, every day is cold showers, morning and night, and you know, living here in St Kilda, I'm right by the ocean, so been a little bit harder over the winter months um, to do it first thing in the morning. But at some point over the day, I'll get in the ocean and yeah so yeah my day it's always cold showers in the morning followed by like a small sort of 15 minute yoga routine like a salutations to the sun kind of Mm -hmm. flowing routine and then i'll sit down and i'll do for the years i've done the brim hof technique so usually four rounds of the breath work and then lead into a really peaceful meditation state after that for about Mm -hmm. 15 minutes um, I've just recently kind of mixed it up a little bit because I feel, you know, there's quite a bit of sympathetic nervous system activity being sparked, like first thing in the day. So getting up, getting in the cold, that breath work is definitely a sympathetic response from that, that kind of breath work. And then, you know, coffee and in, straight into work, it's, it's, you know, like you're really kicking into another gear. Mm. Um, so what I've been doing, I've been, I've just been using it. There's a guy, Brian McKenzie, who's written a book, The um, Art of Breath. He's, was, I think he was involved with uh, Kelly Starlets early on in the CrossFit days, but he's very big on breath work and breath work for performance. And he's just released an app called Shift State, 
which is insane. It's very, very simple and easy to use. There's four different settings that um, you can select from. So feel alert, feel calm, be present, and fall asleep. So mm -hmm. I'm using that now. I've mixed it up, and that's just you're getting a little bit more sympathetic and parasympathetic response from that breath work in the morning. So yeah, that's that's it. And yeah, usually at some point of the day, I'll, I'll either be when I go to my my local gym is amazing. It's right on the sand in St Kilda, so you can literally walk walk out of the sauna and the swimming pool area onto the sand and jump in the ocean and do a bit of alternate heat and cold therapy. So that's, you know, that's sort of going on at some point over the day as well. That's epic. Um, and how does your aura ring sort of fit in with what you do first thing in the morning? Does, does that feedback pretty constant or are you getting some yeah. ups and downs? Like it's, yeah, it's interesting to see. It's, um, I, it's definitely, you know, my highlight of the morning, seeing what... <laughs> <laughs> how do I do? <laughs> what went on last night. Um, and sometimes it's a bit scary, but it's, yeah, I... It, Initially, um, it was a really good reference, and it still is, but I know now that, you know, obviously just with how my body feels, I've got a pretty good, pretty good idea of what the readiness score is going to be um, based on what's happened the day before, how I slept, um, you know, if I've eaten a bit close to bed. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things. If I've had a couple of glasses of wine, sometimes that affects it, sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah, it's... it's um, it's a really good reference. It's definitely been really helpful in how I structure my my evenings. Um, I I know there's a couple of key things I notice if I you know like I've got these blue blocking glasses. If I if there's nights that I don't wear them, then I definitely have reduced deep sleep. Mm -hmm. um, if I yeah, there's a, there's a whole heap of things depending on what I've eaten. Um, how late I've eaten, how much time I've been exposed to the computer over the day. Um, if I had some, any sunlight, sort of AM mm. sunlight, I can notice there's, there's a change. So, and, and where I am environmentally, like when I'm out in the bush, it's like sometimes I feel like I haven't slept that well, but my deep sleep's through the roof. So, you know, breaking down that, that um, you know, those sleep cycles is, is really interesting. Um, and yeah, I think it, there's a lot of, you can draw a lot of little key indicators of, you know, just your general health based on that and particularly the, the HRV element to it. Um, yeah, when you, when I've had a big week of training or overdone it, I definitely see it's like, Oh, might be time to just back off. <laughs> but having said that, I think, you know, an interesting thing that Brian McKenzie said or it might have been Kelly Starlett and said that, you know, it's great to use the, the data from those, these devices, but at the end of the day, it's your desire to train should override anything. So there's definitely days that it, you know, from my data it would indicate that I'd need a rest day, but I just want to do something. I feel like I need to do something physical for my mental well-being, or, you know, it's a nice day or I just want to get out. So yeah, I think there's some benefits to overriding that as well. And again, it's kind of that hormetic response to stress. If you, you know, there's days that you don't want to do it. If you push through it, then you can become stronger for riding through some of those harder days as well. Yeah, so it's, that's it's sort of the sort of the flip side of what my mate, who has now just got an aura ring, and 
it's quite handy for him because he's just fallen off a bike at, at Ironman and I think he was in Thailand for that and, and knocked his head. And so <clears throat> he's obviously making sure that he's sleeping well, which he is, but then he feels like shit <laughs> and he can't concentrate. And But um, he's got sort of got this five-minute rule and, and like you say, the days that you feel a little bit off, and you want to make sure that it's not just feeling off. You know, he, he sort of says, get started for five minutes, and if you still feel shit, we'll give up and, and pack it in. But, yeah and, yeah, and like you were saying, it's the opposite. You've got this data that says, oh, maybe hold back, but you feel all right, and you want to move and, and, and get you know get outside especially. Uh, it, it can be sort of the flip side of that, yeah. Yeah, and particularly with HRV reading, that's done over a you know over a period of I think it's over a period of twenty four hours. But you, it's they've got a new function within the app now where you can, um, I think it's called it's not activities, it's a it's a moment option. Mm -hmm. So you select that moment, and you've got two choices: I think it's breath work or meditation. So mm -hmm. there's a ten minute timer, and you you go into meditation for ten minutes, and then you see the change in your HRV just from that 10 minutes of meditation. So you can definitely play around and, and work, you know, and, and do things that are going to increase your, um, you know, your HRV level and, you know, feel, feel better for it as well. Do you ever um, monitor that as you go with meditation, sort of try increase that sort of stuff or it's something that's sort of too technical to be meditating yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs> like to like there's so many cool gadgets that i'd love to get if i had you know a stack yeah. of cash <laughs> um it's interesting i find it all really fascinating all that kind of you know biohacking stuff as well yeah um and and tracking your data and it's something interesting you know for me it's been it's something i've been really looking into i had um two years ago it's actually two years to the day i had a stent oh, put in yeah yeah crazy um, so I'm a, you know, I've had 15 years of solid exercise and, and, you know, really consistent with my training and, and routine, a broad range of exercise, um, lots of time in the outdoor surfing, a relatively good, like a good diet for, for most of that time. Um, and then two years ago, a little bit longer than two years ago, I had, I had a really stressful three years really leading into that point, um, work and travel and relationship stuff, a lot of a myriad of things that would, were accumulating. Um, on top of that, I'd been exercising a lot and I, I was staying, I was living, I three years I was living in Airbnb, so I was moving around every six weeks somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was in a place in Melbourne and I woke up one night with a, a terrible pain sort of up through my chest and into my neck. And I was like, fuck, I think I'm having a heart attack. And I was alone. I was, I was on my own. So it was, it was, it was really stressful going through that. Um, lasted about two hours. And then I finally went back to sleep, woke up in the morning and I, was, I felt fine. I was like, look, it must have just been, you know, something from training, maybe a pulled a muscle in my chest or something. Mm. Um, but I went for a run, started kicking in at about 2K mark. And then, yeah, it happened every day for about two weeks before I went to the doctor. <laughs> I'm um, raising my eyebrows if you're not watching this yeah, on YouTube. <laughs> it actually took a little bit longer than that. I mean, I, I was, my parents were coming over from New Zealand. I was meeting them in Noosa. So I was driving. I was driving from Melbourne to Noosa up the coast. And I was surfing every morning and running. Um, 
and it just kept kicking in. And there were some mornings I was surfing on these back beaches on the coast on my own. <laughs> pain. Probably shouldn't really be doing this. Anyway, long story short, got back to Melbourne, saw my doctor, and he said, "You've got to, you know, you've got to go to emergency like right now because it's obviously something to do with your your cardiovascular system." Um, when and they did a heap of tests, I hadn't had a heart attack. I had um, all my blood markers looked fine. Um, overall, there was nothing that they could sort of pick up. They're like, "Look, you're fit. Is anything you, you know, you're obviously very healthy. Um, just probably." you know, going to let you go, but, you know, come back tomorrow. I just want to do one more test, which was the stress echo test. Mm. And, yeah, came the next day, did that. And, yeah, the, through that, they discovered there was a 98% blockage to one artery, which was, yeah, it was shocking. It was very, I couldn't really believe it, to be honest. Um, so they scheduled me in the next day for to put a stent in, which was, again, you know, for me, I really... Um, avoid anything that's kind of medical focused if I can um, so it was I just felt like I was in a situation where I was you know I didn't have enough time to assess what had happened and you know make any decisions around that that um, you know that procedure or educate myself on it so I felt quite vulnerable going in to do that but they they assured me that was I, it was something that just had to be done straight away mm. So they, they put in a new product, which was a, a trial, um, it was still in the trial process. It was a magnesium biodegradable stent. Um, so being, you know, 43 at the time, they said it was just, yeah, for long-term um, prospects, it was a much better option for someone my age. And essentially they put that stent in, squeezed the artery open, um, and over a period of, two years your body slowly absorbs that magnesium into the um, endothelial wall and in theory the artery stays open so they did that and i f flew out like two days later to thailand for a couple of weeks <laughs> holiday and work stuff and the whole time i felt terrible i had this really just sharp pain in that area and that's pretty much that pretty much continued for about a four-month period and they they just could never give me any clarification on why that would be happening um it, you know apparently there's no nerve endings in that area so it was unlikely they would think that it would be triggering some sort of pain and yeah so it was really hard to digest that that's i still have that after two years um Anyway, I got to I got to about the four four or five month mark, and I was I was in America at the time, and the things started getting really bad really quickly. Like all the symptoms started coming back. I could I could hardly walk up the stairs. I was out of breath, uh, a lot of pain, and I made the decision just to get on a flight and get back to back to Melbourne. And same thing, rushed straight in, and the the stent that stent had collapsed. My body had broken it down really quickly. So it collapsed in the artery and blocked off the artery again. So it was really fortunate I got back and got in. So then they went back in and, and put in a traditional stent, which I've got now. So that was, yeah, that was over. So that was about over 12 months ago now, probably 18 months ago now that happened. And from that point on, I just, I, I just really decided to make some big changes in my life and really work on managing stress or eliminating any stress that I could eliminate. So 
it was, yeah, there's some tough decisions in the relationship that I was in. Um, you know, I felt like the travel and, you know, the situations around that were just weren't worth the, the pressure that it was putting on me. So I did that, changed some of the things in the, that I was doing in the business, how it worked, and um, went back to New Zealand, spent a month in New Zealand with my mum cooking dinner, <laughs> um, which was amazing. So they've got a house on the Coromandel Peninsula at Woodyanga. Mm. So they, you know, dad dives and, you know, there's plenty of seafood every day. There's fresh vegetables in the garden and, you know, a really nice home environment. So that was really nourishing to get back there. And, um, and I bounced back really quickly. So even a week later, I was running and going to the gym and, you know, spending time on the beach every morning doing the, my breath work and um, cold therapy, cold dips in the middle of winter in New Zealand, which looked a bit strange for the passers-by. But, um, <laughs> winter, winter. Um, yeah, yeah, it's quite funny. Well, I, and I do this this morning, part of my morning routine, I do this um, animal flow movement. And it's, you know, it's the light exposure obviously has a lot of benefits. That AM light exposure is signaling, you know, the cascade of hormone responses in our body, um, priming us for the day. Um, the, the actual movement part of it is, you know, we've got these, um, the ability to um, receive the energy from the earth. And especially when you're on a, a volcanic beach where, you know, the sunlight's on the sand, a lot of minerals and um, in the in the earth, you know, you're next to the ocean. You've got these negative ions that you're absorbing when you get in the water. So there's just a, a whole lot of things. It seems like such a simple thing to do, but the physical benefits from it are profound. So by doing that um, every morning, I've done that pretty much some form of that every morning for the last 18 months, and. As a result of that, I've had a huge change in my blood work. My blood work's still not great, but things just everyday markers, um, cholesterol, you know, decreasing rapidly, um, inflammation markers, you know, decreasing. So, you know, just from being in the environment, you know, external environment, somewhere in nature um, and tapping into those things, I feel like there's, you know, you, you're really kickstarting a lot of the, the, um, you know, the healing properties mm. before you have to really consider, you know, introducing other stuff on top of that. So I think if people, you know, if people understood how simple it is to correct or to improve, um, you know, their day-to-day their -day life, their mental well-being by just getting outside and putting your bare feet on the ground and, you know, looking at the sun in the morning, then, yeah, it's... It's such an easy, free way to um, improve your health. It's too, it's too accessible. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent, man. Um, and, and so you, you spoke about uh, the lifestyle intervention there and, and diet, and, and you spoke about with uh, Josh Rogers that the keto diet wasn't necessarily the right one for you. What was a sort of marker that you sort of pulled up that maybe uh, a high saturated fat diet wasn't the most ideal? I think for me, it was the the kind of fats that I was consuming and probably over-consuming, like the saturated fat sources. You know, I was having a lot of butter, a lot of coconut oil, a lot of fatty meat. Um, you know, it, 
essentially they you know for most people that's that they are healthy fats and i believe they are for me as well but i think in conjunction with having potentially having some um endothelial wall disruption mm. uh, that um really high saturated fat intake could potentially be part of the problem it is not the cause of the problem of course you know there needs to be an underlying um infraction within your endothelial wall for the cholesterol to then go to and do what it's supposed to do to heal and to address that issue um so i think that that could be could have been one indicator and i definitely noticed when i um adjusted how i ate so i moved a, a little bit away from you know like i was doing a, a charles poliquin um approach where i was eating for quite a long time having steak and nuts for breakfast mm -hmm. and like mentally and physically that's the best i ever felt the way eating that way um and yeah so there were things in there that once i kind of tweaked a little bit and went more mediterranean paleo still generally a low low carb um style diet um, but just a lot more olive oil as opposed to coconut and butter um and yeah just a, you know a probably a lot more green vegetables um still plenty of meat but really just really good sources of of um grass-fed organic beef and and um wild atlantic salmon sardines all of the good things but i just noticed um my lipid markers you know drop very quickly just from that small chain so there's, you know, there's a couple of things, obviously, there. There's some genetic things that I, I probably need to test to, to confirm that mm -hmm. um, because the, in conjunction with that happening, I was having a lot more time in the sun as well. So I'd moved after New Zealand. I decided I was going to Bali. I had nearly five months in Bali last winter. So I was working from there. I'd do six weeks, then I'd come back to Melbourne for a couple of weeks and spend time with my daughter here and oversee what was going on with warehousing and manufacturing and you know i probably took my foot off the pedal a little bit with work but it's you know i felt i needed to prioritize you know my my health at that time so you know the lifestyle i had there was much less stressful i was in the sun a lot more and my diet was probably shifted a little bit more towards that mediterranean style paleo so there's a couple of things there that could could indicate the you know the, the lipid markers declining um and i've definitely coming back to melbourne and being based here i've, I've probably introduced those things a little bit more and i have seen a, a slight increase in in those markers again mm. so it's interesting but again you know i'm probably more stressed living in, in a city and there's you know wi-fi and um you know signals blasting around dirty electricity everywhere as well and it's you know it's hard to, to really know exactly what what is influencing those things sometimes mm. what are you what are you following are you um like are you looking as deep as you know lp louie ldlp that sort of stuff or just I, I mean, ratios and and, and yeah, levels I, I haven't i'm not looking at those yet i've just interestingly enough i um early on in my introduction to the cold therapy i did a um a weekend ice bath at five elements in mm -hmm. north melbourne with dave o'brien yeah so that, yeah and then i listened to dave on your podcast recently and noticed that he's doing the the blood chemical analysis 
courses. So I had a consultation with Dave last week and that really opened my, my eyes and then just put me down even a bigger rabbit hole that I thought I was <laughs> <laughs> down and realised, okay, there's a lot more depth to this than, you know, where I'm sort of scratching around on the surface. <coughs> And a lot of things he brought up were things that I've, you know, that I've come across in my research over the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, he really puts things into context. So there's some, a couple of interesting things that he brought up as well that, you know, I didn't consider which could cause these potential um, endothelial um, disruptions. And it's a lot of it's stress-related, you know, just high blood pressure from stress mm. and more blood pumping through the arteries it's you know there's, there's there's potential that you know you could cause some damage it'd be so. interesting if uh dave has some parallel thinking here um i have read somewhere and i and, and i unfortunately can't you know call up the reference or anything like that but it was something to do with the fact that as chefs um even non-smoking chefs their risk for endothelial damage is increased because of the vapor from processed seed oils, did that parallel thinking ever come up? No, it hasn't. I haven't haven't actually thought about that. Yeah. So um, how long were you chefing for? <laughs> Obviously, um, there's a big big stress element with chefing yeah, as well. Twenty years. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I started. I left New Zealand on a one way ticket when I was seventeen to London, and I got a job in a restaurant in London through a friend of my mum. Her sister was managing a restaurant. So I pretty much walked into a job washing dishes at 17 in London. And um, after a year, I was making salads. And then a couple of years later, I was one of the main chefs. So, yeah, since then, that has been my, my sort of underlying trade. I've done a heap of other things um, along the way as well. But, you know, the chefing has always been kind of a base thing that I've either gone back to or I've done in conjunction with other stuff. But I know there's, there's a huge inc increase in cardiovascular incident with night shift workers. Mm. I think, you know, like something like 30 to 40% ridiculous. And I know Rob Wolf did some work with the Nevada um, police and fire departments. And yeah, that was the statistics that were coming out of that were, were crazy. So that's one thing when I was a chef, I did my last job as a chef, I was working on offshore oil rigs up in the East Timor Sea, um, month on, month off, and I was doing night shift out there for a lot of years. And that was that was really taxing. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's obviously the disruption with your circadian rhythm. You know, we're in, in a, in a, on an oil rig, an isolated oil rig. There was very little sun light. You know, it was all artificial light. You'd sneak out. You know, if night shift, you had a little window in the morning or the, the evening to get out and get a little bit of light. So, yeah, there's a couple of things there. Or well, there's a lot of things now. You know, at first when it happened, I was like, fuck, how could this happen to me? <laughs> yeah. I'm supposedly fit and young and, you know, thought I was doing all the right things. But, um, and I couldn't really get any answers from the cardiologists. You know, it was, a, you know, I had fantastic care and great people, but they just, yeah, they just couldn't really give me any answers or direction. It was just here's six forms of medication to take and you take these for the rest of your life and, <laughs> and see you later. So I was, I was pretty, I felt pretty desperate. I didn't really know where to look. And so I reached out to Ben Greenfield in America and he was amazing. He gave me some really fantastic advice and, um, he said, look, I think you, you, you're definitely someone that could be at risk with, you know, from what you've told me. 
Um, there's a lot of key things here that, you know, would indicate, you know, why this has happened. And yeah, he just opened my eyes to some alternative ways of looking at it, some alternative study um, um, data around some treatments. Um, and yeah, so from there, I just really pushed in deep and done a lot of research myself. And a lot of it, you know, may or may not be relevant, but there's a lot of things now that's kind of pieced together, a bit of a puzzle and, you know, learning more and more along the way. But I guess I, I've kind of got to a point now where I sort of felt like I've hit a bit of a wall of, all right, what's the next step? You know, how do I stop this from potentially happening again? And, you know, I've, I'm, you know, I've really focused on my, my routine and my, how, I, how I've structured my day, how I, my sleep is a priority. Um, knock back plenty of dates now because um, I need to go to bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> um, but, you know, so it's been, you know, it's been really interesting. So seeing Dave has been, um, it's given me a lot of confidence. It's given me a, a couple of really clear ideas of what, the next approaches and through that yeah, I feel I'm really excited about the next kind of stage um, and seeing the results that you know I believe this will will bring yeah um so on, on that what's sort of your uh, you know endpoint outcome when you feel happy about where you're at from that cardiovascular thing because the real shit thing about cardiovascular thing is it's kind of you know even in your case like can just sneak up on people and and and, and happen, you know. Yes. What and you know you, you go into that cholesterol thing. Well, it's so much up for conjecture. You know what's meaningful. And I, I don't know if you a follower of Peter Atia, but he had six three-hour episodes with Tom Kraus, I think it is, who's a lipidologist. And like I learned so much, but from from the end of it, I was like, they actually don't know. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, even just the approach, like I, like I feel confident that, you know, I, could, I can mitigate what's happening. I mean, we all have some form of progression of, you know, of, of plaque in the art, artery walls. You know, most people in their 40s are going to have, you know, 20 or 30% build up in, in some area. So, you know, I think for me, I really want to focus on slowing that right down now or stopping it from going further. Um, and then considering that there is a stent that I do have this piece of metal in my artery and now, you know, do I need to consider having my lipids a little bit lower mm. because there is some form of obstruction in there that potentially that could, you know, that could build up around. Um, and then just being really dialed in with my blood work. But having said that again, you know, like I saw my, the, the, the private practice guy that did my procedure recently, I've presented him with, you know, I've had two years of blood work that I've been doing regularly. And he's, you know, looking at my blood work going, look, it's amazing what you've done. You've really turned a lot of things around. And then I go and see Dave. And then Dave kind of looks at this three-year, you know, um, two to three years of blood work that I've presented to him. And he's highlighted a heap of things that, you know, when you looked at a single, um, one of my single blood test panels, everything would seem reasonably normal, but when you kind of put it across a, a, a period of time and create this graph, the spikes and drops, there's a lot of irregularities. Mm -hmm. So like this healthy up and down cycle with a lot of these inflammation markers and lipid cycles and hormone responses, you know, you, you want that sort of frequency of up and down, but with mine, there's these like gradual 
um, inclines and then a rapid drop where it stays low. And there's this, this, this pattern that highlights a number of things which a lot of them are coming back to the gut, um, absorption of food, uh, methylation pathways being impaired, you know, glutathione um, pathways that are not functioning optimally, and a lot of things that, you know, when you look at the response to those things that I can really um, associate with, you know, like energy dumps and ups and downs and, you know, feeling flat, you know, at different times. And so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So Dave's kind of given me some real confidence and, okay, let's start here and, you know, get back to the cause of, you know, what, you know, what could have, you know, potentially sparked some of this, um, stress response in the body, mm. um, which is it's really it's yeah it's really interesting stuff. But it's it's definitely outside of the realm of what I've been you know exposed to in the you know commercial in the sort of more medical traditional um, information. But I think I'm really it. <laughs> yeah, and then, <laughs> I don't want to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's what you um, like to say. From an acute level, medicine is, is fantastic, but the, the amount of patients I see, or even just, you know, you go to a supermarket and, and see what's in front of your eyes, you know, to sit there and unpack it with, with somebody, I can just sort of scratch the surface and it just all unfolds and you go, we could be here a while if if it was my scope to do something about it. And I try, try my best within my time and, and, and still do an eye exam, but when the eyes are manifesting so much and it's kind of like, well, it could be this, could be this, could be this, could be this, could be this. And, and then could be all the medications you're taking for it. You, know, you, just, you just kind of go, well, where do we begin? And, and, and I, you know, often I'll try to take a simple approach of thinking about insulin or, or thinking about inflammation and, you know, the, the amount of European ancestry and Celtic ancestry in this country that's probably contributing to a ton of insulin resistance of, of all these people scoffing down processed bread um not even not even properly made bread with good wheat you know you just go well there's, there's maybe step one <laughs> yeah it's, it, is, it's a, it is a my feel yeah i was impressed with listening to some of your um approaches to how you're treating your patients and you know trying to encourage some of these lifestyle things as well and looking at in a, you know what you're doing in a holistic way with the patient as well i think that's really empowering for people yeah and i think I'm I'm lucky in terms of when I went through uni with optometry, um, we did therapeutics, so we we have the ability to prescribe stuff, and um, again, you know, you look at your failures and go, well, what did I get out of that? So I didn't get into optometry straight away, and I went to Otago and did um, tried to carry on with biomedical science doing reproduction, um, and with that in Otago they linked up genetics, so. Genetics was like a complete foreign language to me, but you know that that C C minus exposure that I got to genetics and and a little bit of biochemistry really sort of built up a, an understanding of or a little bit of understanding of that, um, and then I ended up focusing on uh, neuroanatomy and and again reproduction. So again, from a hormone, uh, hormone perspective and a, and a neurological perspective, and then getting knocked around a couple of times in rugby, again, going back to that neurological perspective, to then apply that lens to optometry and go, you know, all I'm dealing with is a little bit of the brain, but what's coming coming through and coming up and, you know, the lids and all that sort of stuff, T-layers, how people are, it's just, you know, it's so broad. And, and yeah, I think 
you're a misfit, you just go, oh, well, you don't need glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And it's just, you know, this, you know, everything, understanding that everything plays a role, you know, all of these um, systems in our body are in sync and speaking with each other. And then, you know, they're also then being influenced by the external um, input, whether it's the environment or what we put in our bodies. And, you know, there's some fundamental things there that we can, you know, we can correct at a base level. And, you know, then I think, you know, see the positive changes from that because even that within itself is, is a fantastic start. I've had a really great experience with my parents. My, my mum and dad have always been, you know, they're healthy. They eat home cooked food. They, you know, they're active people. But they're in there, my mum's sort of getting late 60s now, my dad's late 60s, mum mid-60s, sorry mum. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, they, you know, they were probably, they had some underlying issues. My mum, as she got older, was, was, you know, putting on a little bit of weight, still like in a healthy sort of range, but um, not feeling good, always had digestive problems. Um, my dad was a bit the same. He was, you know, he'd sit down every night and have a half a dozen beers and, even though he was active and and very busy and functioned really well, you know they you know they probably weren't eating you know the right things. It was still very kind of heavy carb based meals, and um, you know so I I really put a lot of effort in with them over the last couple of years and trying to encourage them to just tweak their their the way they're living as well, how they eat and what they drink. Um, you know what they do in the you know in the mornings as well. Getting out and getting a little bit of sun, having the breakfast out on the out on the table outside rather than inside in the kitchen. And the, yeah, they put a lot of time into it, and the changes in their their life has been profound. They you know they've, they've lost so much weight. They're super fit. They you know they, they ride do cycling trips and ride their bikes every day. It's it's like they they look ten years younger than what they did. So, you know, they just embrace the whole thing. My dad doesn't, he has a couple of beers occasionally now. He'd rather have a green tea than a, you know, than a milky coffee or a milky cup of tea in the morning. <laughs> and yeah, that's, it's really cool to see them embrace it and feel like they've just, their lives have been um, reinvigorated. Yeah. So I think, you, you know, just starting with the people around you, like I'm definitely no expert it's just, it's just a hobby for me and in my interest is, is is exploring all of these things and and how food affects us and how environment affects us and you know it's it's definitely a passion of mine and you know i feel like if if we can embrace a couple of things like that and help a couple of people around us within our within our close friends or family then it's just the start of this sort of growing positive movement that um you know we can all be a part of yeah, man, those those type of people that have that reinvigoration for life are just, um, yeah, I love it when people like that come in and, and then we can talk about awesome. talk talk about the things that flow on from that. And I think Cliff Harvey and I touched on that. It was that house house a platform to then follow your passions. And, and often those ones that have gone, oh, I've done this and this, and now I do this and this and this. Like you say, like cycling trips and you know people that are off on cruises to to weird places like Alaska. You're like that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's inspiring. Like my parents are inspiring me. It's it's you know it's it's really it's really nice. And I feel like through it all, our relationships have improved and we're much closer. And yeah, it's it's a really cool journey. Yeah, my, my dad's done a little bit of uh, lifestyle design after all his hard work of, of raising three boys. He's, he's 
following his passion as a as a rowing coach and with that that means going to an international regatta each year and with that mum gets to see parts of the world and so they've just gone to florida and 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 they went right around florida all the way down to the keys and right up to the top and they went to orlando and i said oh you're gonna go to disney world and they were but then they ended up um Funnily enough, the person that was renting our house suggested a, a different place to go to. And yeah, they, they went on a couple of roller coasters, one that was hanging that I hanging from, and another one they were going backwards. I was just like, yeah, that's that's what you want to be doing in, in, your, in your six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great to see. It's really good to see. Yeah. Um, now, a couple of people we've got in common, and also the, the person that I first found about Mon Pirates from, Aim Warrington. I've, I've chatted with him a long time, ever since um, the first issue of. One huntsman came out. I was sort of chatting to him, and and I sort of said to him, "What's the prompt that I should ask him?" Um, and don't tell me the story. And he said uh, something about a sandbag. Were you relaxed, and why were you so relaxed? <laughs> that's a bit of a um, yeah. That's a bit of a curveball. Um, that one was. I've been fishing. I always felt like I was completely dialed in with nature and the environment and it was a really random that's the first that was the first time I'd been that close to a, a deer bow hunting um I was down at the river this this river it's actually the property that I'm going to this weekend mm. and I've driven driven back to where the house is and generally you don't see deer in that area there's like farm paddocks it sort of backs on some some bushland and yeah I came around and I thought I was like is that a deer standing down at the end of the paddock and sure enough, as I got closer, this, the stag was standing there, was looking at me. It was, the wind was really good direction and it, would, it, just, it just kind of froze. So I was like, it's going to run at any minute. And yeah, I managed to get inside, get my bow, get set up and come back out. And it was probably 100 metres away. And I put a tree in front of, um, between me and the deer and just got a stalk into around 55 yards and got a really clean shot. Hit it. I thought was a re- was really good placement, and it jumped the fence and took off into the bush. And yeah, I was probably a little bit excited. First time I'd been in, in that situation, and I, I went and I told the story. I, I actually spoke to Josh Rogers like probably an hour afterwards, going, "Geez, what happened?" Um, but yeah, I probably rushed a little bit into to follow it and. Um, followed blood trail and then yeah I think I must have bumped it I heard I heard it sort of take off again and yeah I spent hours I spent a lot of time trying to track that deer um, and yeah I didn't find it so it was, it was actually a really emotional and upsetting <laughs> experience that's haunted me since you know um, I hope that the deer survived and lived another day um, but yeah it was it was yeah it was a really it was amazing and it was you know such a huge adrenaline rush and lots of emotions going on but yeah it was it was not the result i wanted so it was a it was a um yeah it was a, it was a pretty crazy experience so a lot of a lot of hours that night in the bush so there you go Eamon. that's the um <laughs> and i can sympathize and i'm sure josh sympathize and david sympathize with you because that is exactly my first story. I, I um, at my mate's farm, we're up on up on a little knob, and, and we saw a little wall of spikers. And you know, my mate said, "You go first, and I'll go second. And, and sure enough, I've got a seven mil rim mag, so the impact knocked the guy over, and and I watched it and watched it, and I was like, "Sweet, well, 
there's still more deer here. We'll we'll get another one. And then it came back to right, we'll go pick up these deer and it was gone and same same thing. That it was just the the impact knocked it over, but that it must have been a pass through and, and the deer got up and walked away and, and again me I, it still haunts me, but I, I hope that it was just sort of behind the shoulder and, and, and carried on fine. And um probably the, the other person I talked to was Andy Ross and, and that might be the same story that he was asking me about. He said, What's your blood checking skills like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm actually seeing Andy's coming out with me tonight, actually, to the bush. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's haunted me that, that, that losing that deer as well. And I, when I spoke to Josh about it the next day, um, I'd messaged him afterwards and he said, look, he said, it's just one of those things you, you'll learn to really slow down. And um, he said, you've got to give it some time, especially if it's, you know, if it, you know, maybe you didn't hit it in the right spot and it's it's um he said they're very sturdy animals you know they used to stabbing each other with their horns so mm-hmm. um yeah he said it, it just happens and it's unfortunate yeah and, and, and deer are very fast to close up wounds and recalcify things and uh, yeah like yes. having that knowledge you know somewhat makes you feel better but then at the same time injuring an animal makes makes you feel disgusting yeah, heartbreaking yes yeah um and, and so you obviously got to that point in your first time um, mining one up. Something that we had a conversation with Andre Alapati, who's well experienced. He he was talking to another guy, Kieran Island, who's just started bow hunting, and you know he's got to the point where he gets gets in full draw and then can't let go because you know being an experienced hunter, he has that that thought in the back of the mind of I want to make this effective. Hit. Do do you think that's sort of holding over you at the moment, or are you you happy with the conversations you've had to to move forward? Um, no, I I mean I definitely I, at the time I felt really confident with mm. with what I was doing, and I've been shooting like really cleanly at, at 60, 70 yards. That's when I was spending time on that property, so I felt confident with that. But after after that experience, I've definitely thought you know I've reassessed what I would do in that situation. Mm-hmm. And you know, being eager to to get my first deer, um, I, I still don't think it, it's worth sort of pushing that boundary. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something that I I would having you know going through if I had to go through that again, I probably would I probably hold back. Yeah. And so, what was the draw draw <laughs> of of going to um, a bow over? over rifle hunting or just the fact that you're in Australia and it's probably tough to get a rifle? <laughs> I, 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 to, to be honest, I haven't done, I mean, when we were kids, we were rifle hunting. I was um, duck shooting a lot, shooting rabbits. My brother was deer hunting and, and, doing, and shooting pigs a lot. But for me, the, the rifle hunting wasn't really an appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in the last sort of four or five years, part of the bow hunting thing ties into, you know, my house stuff as well and, and, and having an avenue to get out into nature more. Um, and you know, also becoming a little bit more conscious about you know how I'm living my life and um, the choices that I'm making. So you know, a big part of that obviously is where I'm getting my food from. Where does that food come from? What's that food going to do in my body? Um, so I'd been drawn to this you know ancestral health um, philosophies and um, you know particularly around diet for quite a while. So an extension of that was, you know, okay, how can I access, um, you know, getting my own food, at, at, you know, whether it's in the ocean, spearfishing or, 
mm. um, you know, getting out into the bush in Victoria. So I, at the time that was sort of floating around and I ended up hearing Adam Greentree on a podcast with Rogan and around the same time, Shane Dorian. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really Shane Dorian, his lifestyle really resonates with me. I'm a surfer as well and I've known of Shane for years and years. So seeing what he was doing with his family and how he was living in Hawaii, um, I thought was, yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, so I just, just randomly, I went into a bow shop one day when I was back in Melbourne and picked up a bow and had a shot and I was like, oh, I've got to do this, There's something going on here. So yeah, I bought the bow and then started going to an archery club and um, learning how to use it. And then around that time, I linked up with a guy that I taught when I was um, before Modern Pirate. I was teaching surfboard manufacturing at a facility in Melbourne, and we're doing weekend courses. And a guy came through that I developed a friendship with, and yeah, I learned that he was bow hunting. So he invited me out, and yeah, just kind of showed me around and took me to some really cool spots and. Um, so it's, yeah, it started, my interest started developing from that. And then I connected with Adam through social media and ended up meeting Adam and his wife and family in Newcastle and went out, went out for um, breakfast with them one day and had a great chat. That was awesome. They were really lovely people. And then through that, you know, through following Adam, I came across Eamon. Hmm. And the same thing, we'd sort of developed a friendship and I'd spent some time with him um, around that time as well. And Eamon's parents are actually, have got a beautiful property in Victoria. So, yeah, when Eamon was down one weekend, he said, hey, come up and spend a weekend on the farm and we'll, we'll go hunting. And it was, it was awesome. And so, yeah, we've just developed a really close friendship since then. And, yeah, whenever he's down, I'd shoot up there and he's got a beautiful um, family farm and a great sort of paddock to plate restaurant that his mum and dad run and yeah it's a really cool environment his cousin Gordy lives next door is a, a, a really keen hunter as well awesome hunter so he's been he's been a, you know really big influence as well really helpful and um and he's he's the guy that puts the meat on the table if we don't get anything with the bow he'll <laughs> the rifle out and make sure that we don't go home with <laughs> with the Chili's been not chock a block, you know. Um, so yeah, so that's the connection to to Eamon. and from there, yeah, I've just I've just self taught really. I'm just sort of going out a lot on my own, and um, you know, the deer. Like I've I've been fortunate in Victoria. There's a lot of deer. So pretty much every time I go out, at some point, you know, I either bump deer or I get close to a deer. Um, but yeah, just opportunities to, you know, have a clear shot or be in the right position or be confident about what I'm doing. Just, it, they just don't seem to present themselves as often as you would like. But um, <laughs> I hear that's pretty standard here in Victoria, especially with Samba Deer. They're pretty, they're pretty um, crafty um, critter. Yeah. So, but it's just the experience. I'm, in, I'm just doing it more for being out there. I don't, you know, I don't care if, I don't see a deer or, or get a deer and it's, it's, you know, it's the whole environment and being out there and combining that with some really good friendships and good food and, you know, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm convinced my partner thinks I go hunting to go um, eat cheese in, in, in salami. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, no, it's just been good um, being back in New Zealand. I've been twice and bumped two deer the first time, which I didn't see. Yeah, it was in tight, scrubby stuff and then, the second time I went out, I was in 
beautiful area, and, but the wind was absolute carnage. You'd be <clears throat> in your face one minute and then over your shoulder the next. And yeah, in this beautiful open area and coming up the hill and sure enough, the wind came over my shoulder and off one went and, and you know, you just go, yes, but bugger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's mixed emotions, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I just find with the salmon that, you know, walking through the bush or sitting there and something comes running in and, you know, you've got this crazy intensity and the honking and the, you know, the aggressiveness of some of the bigger ones. It's, yeah, I don't know, it's it's really, really full on. Yeah, it's man. It's great. The, the other thing Andy said uh, said about is with your, with your spearfishing and surfing, um, what, what goes through your head when there's sharks about? haven't seen a shark when I'm spearfishing yet. <laughs> so, but, yeah, it's definitely on my mind. Like, that's something that, you know, you should do. You, you definitely should do it with it with somebody else. Um, but, yeah, I guess for me, I'll do a lot of stuff on my own. And, yeah, so when I've been out, especially Great Ocean Road in Victoria here, there's, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's super sharky, but there's definitely, there's definitely you know, some decent-sized sharks along that coastline. So yeah, it's definitely in the back of my mind at times, and I'm not out there a lot. I haven't really sort of done a lot of spearfishing here. It's you know the coastline's pretty wild, and you know I haven't sort of teamed up with anybody yet. That's um, I've got one guy actually that I'm just sort of linked up with recently, who hopefully I'll get out with. But um, yeah, it's it's um, it's more. I've been doing it more in New Zealand, and yeah, I haven't seen any haven't seen any sharks touch wood up around Coromandel Peninsula. I know they're there, and it's only a matter of time when you've got bloody fish in the water close to you that, you know, potentially something's going to come up and have a look. Yeah. So, but it's, again, it's, it's, you know, I think, you know, I'm trying to be prepared for it and, you know, understand what's happening with that fear response in your body and, you know, to a degree, depending on how big that shark is, try and control that response because, you know, you're also sending off the you know, a, a signal, an electromagnetic, you know, field from your body that indicates your fear response. And, yeah, you want the opposite. You know, you definitely want to be able to, you know, show that you're confident and that you're not afraid and that you, you know, you're not going to be intimidated by it. So I'm reading a lot about it from other people's experiences and, you know, trying to, you know, create some sort of, you know, preparation for, for you know, being in that situation, but I don't know. I'll have to be there. Have to, have to work out the time. I think it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, my my partner Alex's um, dad her dad said that the same sharks that go into Fongapoa and and I think there's a resident um, tiger of no bull shark or tiger shark or something in the lagoon there. But um, he said the same whites that go past the Mercs and and stuff like that. They go all the way down to Invercargill, through through the sound, and go all the way past Sydney up to up to Ballina, where I was, and <laughs> I was like, yeah. could could see the same same shark, but yeah, that was definitely a shark hot, hot spot. It was always good when the helicopter flew over and, and didn't rear its siren at you. You, you felt, felt sure. good about being in the water. Um, what species do you target in, in the Coromandel? Um, just mainly, you know, snapper and I don't mind the mochi. There's a lot of fish up there that, you know, probably people would class as a second rate eating fish that I think are pretty, pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Some of the species. Um, yeah, obviously kingfish. There's a lot of, a lot of varieties up there. Um, I haven't, haven't got a decent kingfish yet. So that's kind of one that's on the top of my list for this summer when I get home. Um, but yeah, look, just, just, 
you know, there's plenty of variety and I think it's, they're pretty easy to access. Like I haven't jumped in and not got enough food for, for dinner. And, you know, things like the kinner as well, the, the um, you know, I think that's really underrated. It's something that, um, you know, as a chef, there's lots of things you can do with that. You know, you don't have to just crack it open on the rocks and eat it raw. Mm-hmm. Lots of butters and, you know, different sauces that you can make with it. So yeah, I try and get a few things that are probably not, you know, not as, as you know, not as popular, I guess. You know, my parents, when they fish, it's that all they want is snapper. <laughs> That's the only thing they want to eat. And um, good scallops, which, you know, I, I, of course, I love those as well. But I think there's, there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of things. And it's, it's more how it's prepared than, than what it is. And so, so you- are you going out on the boat or are you just jumping yeah, on the Yeah, my dad's got a boat. So my dad's got a boat. So he scuba dives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's always, you know, he's out getting craze and scallops regularly. Um, so, yeah, I'll tag along with dad and, you know, we'll sort of pull up somewhere and, you know, he'll have a dive and then we'll find somewhere where I can jump in as well. Um, but, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hoping to get out there this summer as well, and might have to yeah. stop stop in by you guys. <laughs> for sure, for sure, that'd be great. Yeah, man. Oh well, you're you're supposed to be going hunting. <laughs> well, at least yeah, I mean, at least out to the farm. Terrible day, but it's going to be great to get out. I need to get out of the get out of the city and get some fresh air, and yeah, go for a walk in the bush would be awesome. Legend. So where do, where do people find you, Kent, and, and find Modern Pirate? Um, modern pirate on Instagram is modern underscore pirate and the website's modernpirate.com.au. Um, me personally on Instagram, I'm just Kent Mulligan and I actually set up a code today for your listeners, um, stag 15. If anybody is interested in getting anything on the, the website, then you know, they're welcome to punch that code in and use that indefinitely. Awesome. Cheers, man. Uh, yeah. And so what, what would you like people to, uh, to take away from, from our chat or what would you leave people with as a thought or, you know, whether around health or, or what? A couple of thoughts that resonate with me a lot um, by two people that I think are, you know, amazing people. One of them is the late Charles Poliquin. Hmm. Um, something that he said, you know, that I'd heard a long time ago, which re- really resonates and it's what you appreciate appreciates. So I think that's something that I, you know, I really focus on as well. And I think we can all benefit from, you know, like we, you know, obviously we're all very fortunate. Every day is a blessing. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of amazing people out there um, and a lot of um, inspiration. So I feel yeah, that's one thing. The other thing that's important to me is, is um, William Truebridge, the New Zealand freediving champion. Um, a technique that he uses in his deep free dives is just reminds himself there's only now and that's something as well that I find um, you know when I'm stressed or I feel like my thoughts are getting a little bit ahead of myself or I'm projecting into the future I just really try and just pull my mind back in and 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 focus on that and just yeah I think it's it's a little technique that's really helpful yeah Hawks Hawks Bay local as well and yeah (laughs) yeah well it's cool his his yeah. um his old man actually is a great oh no graphic artist. It's a sort of structural artist, and so the house we were in actually has one of the Truebridge lights there. Um, when you're driving around Havelock North, you, you see them in pretty much everybody's window. They're these big 
construction wow. collapsible wooden things that are, are pretty crazy. And yeah, William's a yeah, he's, well. <laughs> he's legend. He's a good guy. Nice. Oh, well, cool. I'll press stop on this and yeah, thanks very much, Kit. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for talks. Really, really great to catch up and we'll um, hopefully we'll link up in New Zealand sometime. Cheers, man. All right, cheers, mate. See you. Sweet wee tool to finish from. Simple and effective. There's only now. Uh, that free diving stuff is awesome. Um, slightly slightly different breathing technique to the Wim Hof. Of course, if you do Wim Hof, don't do it in water unless you've got someone really watching you actively because uh, cold water blackout is not what we want to hear about. <laughs> um, that's my partner's reading tools of times at the moment. Go back to the Tim Ferriss thing. This is a bit of a Tim Ferriss. Uh, so I don't know what you call it. Love fest. <laughs> I enjoy Tim Ferriss. Um, yeah, and she's just gone through the Wimp Off um, chapter of Tools of Titans. And was, oh, shit, why would you do it in water? But yeah, don't do it in water. Um, and make sure you've got someone minding you if you are around water. Yeah, just be awesome. I love it. Um, and as I guess what I wanted to get Ken on mainly, one, because he's a legend, and, and two, he's got a great product, and three, he's a hunter, but his health journey is fantastic, and, and like I said, he's been in touch with Dave O'Brien at Fulfillment Wellness. Um, I saw on Kent's Instagram the other day that he David suggested he get some croc. Man, th- those markets in Melbourne just look absolutely awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, following Kent, you you get a little bit of envy that you're not in Melbourne going to those markets because the the produce and, and the and the food that he gets from there is incredible. Um, and being a chef, he he makes it look pretty good too so if only Instagram had smell and taste um, we'd, all, we'd all be satisfied <laughs> yeah um, and yeah um, we've got so, so much in common um, e- even uh, to the point where um, that Mulligan my, my mum's man her name is Mulligan I, I sort of touched on it in, in the podcast um, and um, yeah he gets that Mulligan from from the same person that came out from Ireland so that's that's pretty amazing um of course, the podcast is brought to you by Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-Zero.ProveItDow.com, especially if you're an Aussie, it's accessible to you. US and Canada, East Asia, their website uh, allows you to order exogenous ketones, keto cream, keto broth, keto teas, keto protein now, uh, a ready-to-drink ketone um, in a can, also the keto reboot, um, which helps you to do a 60-hour fast without uh, going crazy. <laughs> um, with all those products the keto cream keto no not, not keto cream I stand corrected uh, the keto broth keto teas exogenous ketones and then to come out of the fast some keto protein awesome stuff um, Signal OS is what that tablet is and it helps to um, helps with the autophagy that goes on in the 60 hour fast helps uh, your, your DNA to transcribe properly it's also make proteins correctly um, so that you can be more efficient. All the details are on the website. That's waikito.proveitnow.com. If you're not in one of those open markets, you can contact me at StagRaw on Instagram or the Waikito Facebook page, W-A-I-K-E-T-O this time. Um, the links are in the show notes, of course. Keats links will be in the show notes. 
um, you need to contact me on one of those and I can organize to get you an order of exogenous ketones. Uh, as I've said in the last few podcasts, if you're in New Zealand, the price is going to go up in December due to the fact that U-Shop's going to be charging GST for everything that comes through there. So it's going to be 15% on, on the price, which is a little bit of a bummer, but I guess that's how things are working. Um, countries are cracking down on important stuff, stuff that's not uh, bought within the country, which, yeah, I guess that's how things roll. Uh, so, yeah. If you're in New Zealand, get in quick and get yourself some exogenous ketones for a good price. Anyway, that'll do for today. Thank you for listening. Leave us some feedback. Uh, I saw some feedback has come through. Much appreciated. Um, Leave us a rating and have a great week. Cheers.